shining clouds were there, the birds were chirping, but... But, but the, not on you. <laughs> yeah, not on me. It's like rain and like darkness. And so like, I really struggled to find an answer as to why I felt this way. Was it a health issue? It really felt like a health scare because like, I cannot be tired for no reason. And again, linking the whole thing to my dad again, like, um, at first it was like, my mom says something about herself, I'm worried. My dad says something about himself, I'm worried. And now it's circled back to me. It's like, I'm not feeling okay for no reason. Is there something wrong with me now? Yeah, do I have something that I'm not aware of at this moment? Yeah, so it was a it was a real health scare. I went for a health check and everything. Everything was okay. Um, but yeah, so that was my answer. Like everything was okay. The report card was good and everything. Um, but yeah, it was it was just really like a slow recovery from there. Yeah. Then mm. Kai, what about in, in your journey? Like yeah. did it get better over time? Yeah, I mean it did. Um it, it was a difficult process, right? Like I was saying, you know, there was all the self-harm um the, the suicidal ideation but i think as i as i was reflecting back you know the, the fact that i like i shared I, I i cut myself on the arm um in a way that was still somewhat visible to to people meant that perhaps internally i wanted to seek help in in some way you know so um i i recall there was this uh one night you know i was again uh, alone in my room about to cut myself i think i was at the point of desperation i I was so low, you know, like like every day I'm just thinking about harming myself, committing suicide and, and things like that. But yet internally, there was that small hope of wanting to seek help and um, not get not getting much of that help from my friends. Um, so that, that night as I was about to cut myself again, I, I recalled, you know, this um, Jesus that my friends have been telling me about, you know, because I attend a school where I was surrounded by Christian friends. They, we have morning prayer. They often tell me about Jesus and so on, even though I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a believer back then. Um, but, you know, in my desperation, perhaps wanting to find that little hope and I had nothing else to try. Like, there, there were no options. There were no cards on the table. I... Um, I suddenly recalled this Jesus, you know, and as I was about to cut myself, you know, I, I really wanted help. So, you know, being coming, growing up in a traditional Chinese family, um, God always stay in heaven, you know. I I watched Journey to the West and and so on. So I didn't know how to pray to Jesus, but I just knelt down beside the window, faced the sky, and say, Jesus, if you are real, come and save me out of this because I don't want to live this way. You know, it was that. That there was that firm conviction of wanting to die if I'm going to go to jail, but yet there was there was that tiny glimmer of if there's a way out of this, I want to cling on to it, you know, and and that's what I did, and um, you know, it, it, it may not sound the most rational, you know, like uh, how did I find that strength within me to 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 be so desperate to pray to Jesus for help, but. I just found that strength internally within me. And there was nothing magical that, that happened. Not like I pray and then the situation was resolved. It was still a process after that. But what changed was that I found that hope internally within me. Like there was less and less of that desire of wanting to harm myself, wanting to commit suicide. But slowly I was gradually finding more and more traction at that perhaps there is a reason to continue leaving. So after that night, it was a good like two months after that, 
before the police came back um, uh, and, and said that, you know, there was the investigations are done. There's nothing. I'm not going to have a blacklist, nothing to my name at all. And, uh, you know, and even though in that situation, and I think both of you, you shared and you can relate as well that it's really that fear and that uncertainty about the future. You know, just because that one particular situation was resolved didn't mean that, okay, I'm, I'm like, happy now I, I no longer deal with it because there's always that fear that what if there's another one there's another one so then it was a, a gradual process where there was you know that I, I still internally had that desire to harm myself to to commit suicide but yet internally I also had that hope that maybe there's something worth living for there's hope in my life and it was that process gradually you know that that things did get better but um, the story didn't quite end there because like Kind of a lot more recently in 2019, I had a second more minor episode where I fell into depression as well. But um, it was in that episode that f I thoughts about being on the edge of a cliff resurfaced. Like mentally, I, you know, I was undergoing a lot of stress back then. It was a lot of life transitions. I was finishing up my PhD. My wife was going to give birth soon. Uh, I was going to start on a new job and things like that. So there were a lot of triggers and stresses. Um, but that really pushed me mentally to the edge of a cliff. Like I, I remember I was in, in my own study room just working on my stuff, trying to finish up some work. But, you know, I... I was working, working, and then suddenly my mind went to, okay, I'm standing, it feels like I'm standing on the edge of a cliff, ready to jump, you know. So again, it there was that defaulting to, you know, perhaps there is an easier way out of this, which is to jump, and things will be resolved, which of course was, was a lie and a, and a deception. Um, so in that, in that moment, um, you know, it was, it was quite bad. I, I, I had those thoughts. But yet it was so crippling and again, um, I, I didn't find the strength to share with anyone, not even my wife. I was married then. My wife asked me how, how I was doing. I just said I was okay and I continued life, which on hindsight was quite scary. I mean, having someone live with you in the same house 24-7 and you're just telling her you're okay. You when, when everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, when, when I'm not okay, but I'm just saying... I'm okay, yeah. Did that scare you that those were the thoughts that surfaced in your head, those options? It definitely was. I, I think this uh, second episode was a lot more about being caught off guard. Perhaps, um, you know, myself thinking that having been through it once and not having the same thoughts kind of for like 10, 11 years. Okay, I'm out of this. I'm safe. You know, I have this, like, I don't know. I have Jesus now. I have this holy circle. No, nothing can <laughs> attack me. But it was further from the truth. Like, you know, because um, there are always stresses and triggers um, in life. And, and that really did catch me off guard. And it was scary because um, it was on hindsight. Like, after everything was resolved, then I realized... Actually, it was really scary that I didn't even tell my wife about it, you know. And that was scary because, I don't know, if, if your spouse doesn't even know about it, who who knows, yeah. and you she know. she sees you every moment. Like, exactly. Oh, and I could have just spiraled down yeah. even further yeah. without anyone knowing. Yeah. No, but I think that actually is more common than we think. Like, we see on the news, right, that there are, for example, male suicide rates that are quite high and... I know people personally who have lost friends to 
to suicide and it came as a huge shock to them because mm. this friend did not even look like he was depressed. So he would be out partying with them, having a lot of fun. He's the joker of the group and then suddenly out of nowhere something like that happens. So I think generally it catches the people off the, uh, around yeah. them really, really off guard. Um, and I think there's a reason for why guys don't talk about it, you know? Like, for you at least, like, why did you not want to share about it? I guess it's... So there are two thoughts. One was in that particular situation, I felt like even if I share to someone else, they can't help. You know, like, okay, even if I tell my wife, I tell my friends, I tell my friends in church, I tell this person, what can they help? Like the most I can get is, oh, I'll, I'll be praying with you, praying for you. And at that point, it, I was at that point where, you know, they are not going to provide any practical help anyway. So why tell them about it? So there was that uh, sense of pride within me. And perhaps linked to it is also, you know, um, growing up, I, I, I don't know about Asha, but growing up, I watched all the, you know, like um, martial arts shows, like you are in, you know, Shaolin and all that, like, um, guys don't kneel down. It's a man thing to bleed and, like, not feel pain and, and things like that. So perhaps, you know, there was that idea of being vulnerable is seen as being weak. And that was something that, that I grappled with because I didn't want to be seen as weak. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Did you guys seek professional help in that journey? For me, uh, I did. Because um, the the panic attack was like the the final straw for me already, because I've been I've been anxious for like two years. Um, um, I just felt like enough enough is enough, you know. I decided like okay, it's time. I need to go and get professional help. Really, um, I cannot live like this anymore. Um, and then it was it was really good. Like I feel like there was this freedom in just sharing this whole entire journey with someone who has zero bias against you. Um, and they're just there to uh, give you professional help. And then uh, at the end of it, uh, you do what you want with the information they give you. But it was just so liberating, you know, just like like um, to have someone who understands fear fully uh, to kind of explain to you why you feel a certain way and why your mind feels a certain way as well. Okay. So yeah. what are some of these like handles that she gave you yeah so I, I remember one that's really clear and is still helping me to this day um, so she she basically changed my whole perspective on to why um, I was so scared of my parents or even for myself like like uh, having you know small little issues things like that um, she basically said that actually you don't really fear cancer in your family members or your loved ones you actually fear more of seeing them suffer because that them suffering um, makes you feel very helpless. It, it doesn't give you hope. To see someone who took care of you now in pain and you don't really know what to do uh, and they're just there suffering, like you just feel helpless. And that's why you um, are worried. So that was a really good point um, to take note whenever these, these things happen again. The second point is that she, she uh, personified the the anxiety into something that's a bit more uh, relatable. So um, what I mean by that is that she told me that, okay, imagine that anxiety is a person and this person is like knocking on your door. Uh, and then, um, but we don't understand why this fear is happening. Um, we very quickly let it in. 
oh, it's a it's a worrying situation. I have the right to be scared. I have the right to be fearful about this. And so we we immediately let it in and it just overwhelms us. Mm. But what you should do that will help in kind of like um, easing this feeling of anxiety is that um, yes, the anxiety is still there knocking at your door, but you basically tell and say like, okay, I see you there. I acknowledge that you're outside the door right now, um, but I'll handle you later on. Can ah? Yeah. As in, really, can? It's can like leave it at the door? I mean, <laughs> I mean, for, for guys, we compartmentalize things very easily so we can kind of do our own thing first before the emotions get to us. But uh, what I think what she meant by leaving it at the door is that yes, you acknowledge that it exists and that you know it's like there. But you just don't give it the control over your life. Like you don't let it take You don't over. let it in. Yeah, you don't let it in. You have the control to let it in and you decide yeah. whether you want to let it in or not. Wait, then what does it mean to handle it later? Because later when you go and open the door, right, doesn't it just like come yeah. in also? But now you have like the control. You know when it's going to come in and then you say like, you sit down and you process this information like properly. Like for example, let's say a family member is going through a health crisis again yeah. and then the, the immediate thought for me previously was like, uh, oh no, 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 something's wrong, something's wrong, you know, and you start to panic and everything. But now what it looks like for me is that, okay, family's going through something, let's wait for the results to come out. Like, I still feel a bit anxious, but it's not the full blast of it. It's like, okay, um, um, let's wait it out for a little while, you know, let's not overthink it, um, and let's just wait for the results to, to come out before it actually happens. And that has really helped in the way that I kind of manage... Uh, uh, giving anxiety control over my life. Yeah. yeah, this is super interesting to me because I think my impression of anxiety has always been that it just takes over. Like, like you have no, in some sense, control or choice over it, right? And the honest question on my mind now is that I'm, I'm actually very impressed la, that you can do this. I think, I don't know, I also do wonder, like, does it take some form of mental fortitude and strength to be able to say, you stay there first, then later I come and deal with you. Mm. Then for our listeners who maybe feel like they don't have that kind of mental strength, right? Is there a way to train that mental strength? I don't know whether you have some insight into that. Maybe we change the term mental health to mental fitness for a while. Um, like what does what does having mental fitness look like? Um, for guys, you know, we gym. It takes a bit of training to, to kind of deal with it. And um, I guess in the same way, um, for those who feel like you may not have that mental fortitude to kind of battle this, you will get defeated in the first few rounds, but you need to train your mind to kind of go towards this approach. And when you keep doing that, then you're like, oh, okay, maybe that's like, I'm, I'm equal now with this. And it's like, like I'm wrestling. La. Yeah, it's like I'm wrestling. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, like my opponent is stronger now, but if I keep training and keep doing it, Sooner or later, I can fight it off. Yeah. At least hold yeah. it there. Uh, hold yeah. it there. Hold it there for now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think firstly you will stumble and you will fall in the first few rounds. I mean, I did like with with like the first two years were just like oh, I'm just worry and worry. But now it's like okay, that's if the thing happens again, I know what to do. I have a battle strategy. Yeah. I have a battle strategy to to approach this um, and. What my therapist has given me to me is that she actually didn't give me the the solution. The like when I come out of therapy and like, 
wow, this like the world feels 10 times brighter than it used to be. I can hear the music and uh, I can just like dance in the grass field. But I think what she gave me was weapons, like uh, 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 upgraded weapons uh, arsenal, you know, to like say that if anxiety comes, you use this, you use this, you use this, you have this now, now you can go and fight it. Yeah. And maybe, you know, down the road when life gets a bit tougher, the anxiety or the, the situation will be tougher. Like, for example, having kids, um, uh, where your parents are getting older and, you know, it's, time's almost up and things like that. Um, the, the, the situation will get tougher and, and the anxiety will grow as well. But the weapons and everything, you will keep getting... And you get better at using it. You like. get better mm. at using yeah. it. Yeah. So... Um, so the first yeah. few years, it's not like you are just laying there like in a defeated tone, yeah. like, okay, come whack me, come whack me, kind of <laughs> like, kind of, you know, but the, oh, I, I like the, the term about fitness and, and yeah. training, but because your first few years, perhaps where you're stumbling and, and you know, feeling defeated, it's actually um, those foundational years where you learn awareness as well. You know, what are the things that trigger you? Yeah. Why you feel what you feel? What exactly is it that you are feeling? And I would think for, for you, maybe that after that two years, when you sought professional help, you were able already to somewhat clearly articulate, you know, what you were going through, what you were feeling, and that helped you in, in building yeah. your mental fitness yeah yeah so she really explained to me in detail why i felt this way and that gave me like what you said the awareness like before this like i don't know what's going on like it's just it's just so cloudy it's just so confusing but now at least there's a clarity to it i feel like after this session like the fog kind of got further it's still there the uncertainty is still there but the fog just got further you're mm. in gamer terms like your render distance become like further you know no, it's, like, uh, it's, about, okay. it's all there in front of you but there's a certain boundary that you cannot see yet. and that's that's for you to worry for another time yeah okay i i find this super intriguing especially the idea of like i think growing your mental fitness like i want to bring it to concrete terms so that i think for our listeners they have something that they can take away what are some concrete things they can do to grow their mental fitness? Personally, for myself, I think talking to friends helped a lot in kind of processing this information because they kind of give you like a, a third-person point of view with the whole thing. And it's like getting a spotter at the gym. Yeah. You get somebody there. Yeah. Wow, like see? I become a gym bro. <laughs> in case your wish drop or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get, a, you get a second opinion, you get a third opinion because... Um, perhaps these friends of yours may have gone through similar things and they're able to, you know, advise you, they're able to help you, not so much as a professional help, but as a, you know, as a friend who's who's willing to like love you in that moment, support, to support you and to just sit with you in the mud while the bullets are flying above you and just sit down and listen to you and just process this information with them. For some, maybe journaling could help. If you want to yeah. cry, you can cry. Yeah. And I feel like it's okay that different people process it differently. So I'm very not like you. I, I cannot talk until I have written it down. Mm. Because I need to be able to understand it myself first or at least identify it myself. Yeah. Be able to describe it before I'm even able to tell you. If not, I mean you, I'll let you just cry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bye-bye. <laughs> I want to go home. I don't know what else to say. So, and I feel like for different people, it's okay to have different methods of doing it. And mm. it's fine to experiment. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay if at the start, you journal, right? Then you realise that, wow, this is not helping. This is actually making me even more stressed. Yeah. Then you, you try other ways la, until you land on something that actually helps you to get that clarity to at least take the next step. You know, mm. it doesn't need to be something that helps you solve yeah. the problem, but at least help you take the next step. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was very good for, for, for me as well. Like, like the journaling portion. I'm not the kind to write essays, you know. But, well, I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I write it in, in point forms. And I think what that helped, right, was that it gave clarity to what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think most guys can relate. Like when you ask us how we feel, we always say we feel okay, you know, okay, things are okay and, and things like that. But um, just going through that, even in point form, right? Like when I'm going through, like say a depressive episode, I write down, I feel this thing about this thing, one bullet point, And then I feel this thing about this thing. And then eventually, you know, I, I, I realized there was, okay, I feel uh, fear, fearful, I feel sad, I feel this is this. So there may be a long list of negative emotions, but, and, and that may seem depressing, but what that, helped me to achieve was that it gave clarity because if it it was all left in my head it's like this intangible me's like floating around me like I feel this I feel that I kind of feel this feel that but I don't know what I'm feeling but when I write it down it's there black and white this is what I'm feeling and that gave me clarity yeah, yeah you just reminded me that I think that actually was what kind of helped me in the the most recent one uh, the one that I shared right in 2019 because I think when when I wasn't able to identify what exactly it, it was that was making me feel low, to me, it just felt like a... It's like a ball of yarn, right? That's just all very tangled. Mm. And I don't know where to start picking, so I don't know how to untangle it yeah. at all. Mm. But when I was able to, I think, qualify it as like, I feel... Okay, one particular thing I remember I felt a lot that made me feel super, super bad about myself, right? Is that I feel a bit broken beyond repair. Mm. I really feel like just intrinsically there is something wrong with me such that I I just can't help but end up feeling this way. And I remember crying about it to um, my my fiancé back then because we weren't married, right? And then I was just telling him even things like, you sure you want? <laughs> like, like, I feel like there's something inside me that is a bit like off, you know, and like a bit broken and I don't really know how to fix myself. I don't really know whether I will ever be fully okay mm. um, maybe I might be okay for a while but I have no idea when, when it will come back you know so you sure you still want um, yeah and I think just being able to articulate it even though it made me feel very bad because <laughs> I'm just like broken then don't know mm. how to fix right but I think it helped me to identify what was causing the actual lowness and, and because of that then I could spend time thinking about this in particular mm. rather than just the fact that I just feel low Yeah. yeah so I think eventually then when I sat on that thought a little bit more, the idea that I'm maybe broken, I think then actually I came to a place where I realised that a large part of why I was unable to maybe even share and verbalise that I'm not okay is because I somehow feel the need to always be okay. Mm. And I feel the need to always be put together, to always be strong. So when I actually come to a place where I am not put together, where I am weak, I see that as unideal. Mm. Yeah, to the point that I don't even want to accept that about mm. myself. I just kind of want to hurry up, get it over and done with so I can go back to being normal. But what about this is abnormal? You know, maybe brokenness is normal to yeah. some degree. Of course, there is room to seek help and get better and yeah. heal, right? But... Maybe brokenness is normal, lah. You mm. know, like it is normal to feel sad. It is normal to not be perfect. It is normal to be weak, and we just deal with it as it comes. So I think I think that was actually quite a big paradigm shift for me in helping me to accept where I was, so that now I can begin to put in the work to mm. deal with what was causing that. Yeah. yeah. Do you seek professional help at any point? No, I didn't. Um, 
I, I guess the reason is is because of the stigma that, that comes with it. I shared earlier that, you know, um, in that one day where, where things progressed very fast, I had to see the school counsellor. Even seeing that school counsellor was internally a struggle because I, I grew up with the thought that, wow, see, school counsellor is like, I, I don't know, man, something's wrong with you and, and, and things like that. So um, those were very real struggles. Like, um, I, I didn't want to... But I didn't want people to know that I was seeing a counsellor, seeing a psychologist. I didn't know whether it would leave a mark on my, I don't know, academic records. Things I go uni, go to work, and then it's always there. I've sought a, a counsellor, sought a psychologist. So because of all these fears, um, actually, I, I, I didn't seek uh, any professional help. Yeah, And for you, you also mentioned that, you know, you, you didn't, didn't seek... Yeah. Um. I did consider it actually in recent years because like I think with um, like as I processed a little bit more as to what happened in 2019 that could cause me to like kind of drop into debt again right I considered that there were some things that I feel I needed to heal from so I did think to myself like okay I think this is beyond my ability to rationally think through it already lah mm. so should I go and maybe see a professional so that they can just help me to and uh, untangle it a little bit uh, but my short answer is that I was lazy um, I think Okay It's a few things I think I was lazy to Go and find A suitable counsellor I was lazy To sign up For counselling Lazy to carve out time From my already Very busy life To go and see a counsellor Lazy to have to Verbalise My entire thought process, struggle, cry about it, feel tired after crying and then have to think then now what? Ah? So all these things, right? Plus, I don't want to spend money. So yeah. I just felt like, okay, maybe I will try to sit on it a little while more, try and think through it a little while more, try and see whether it just <laughs> goes away on its own. And the context is, right, I'm the kind of person that even when I fall physically sick, right, I do not go and see the doctor until it's like the third day. Mm. I was like, okay, sitting on it is not resolving it. I still have a sore throat. Maybe it's finally time to go eat some antibiotics, you know? So I, I'm that kind of person. La. So I think when it comes to my mental health or mental fitness, mm. um, I also tend to think that way. Mm. Um, maybe there's a part of me that also feels like, I haven't really hit rock, rock bottom, you know? So maybe when I hit rock bottom, then I will really go and find some help. But as of where I am now, it seems manageable and it seems okay. Um, but I have to say that I am not closed off to it. Mm. I know that in the years ahead, maybe mm. if let's say it really, really happens again, yeah. um, it will always still be an option to me. I just really need to get over myself yeah. and like my laziness to go and do something about it. Mm. Um, then I'm curious, right? Because you, you, you said that things are kind of like manageable right now and you didn't seek help, right? And actually for Ash as well, then how do you, regardless whether you seek professional help, how do you actually sustain your mental health, you know, or, or build your mental, continue, keep building your, your mental fitness? I mean, for me, I think a large part of it was processing what happened in 2019. So um, when, when I fell into it again, um, it was quite similar to what you said about your PhD experience, right? Because um, throughout my uni years, I never really had an episode. There were days where I felt lower, but 
um, I knew how to manage myself back then. So I knew that, okay, it gets bad when I'm isolated, when I'm stressed. I can't do anything about stress because assignments are just coming. I just have to submit it, right? But I can do something about the isolation. So I, I would surround myself with friends. I would let them know actually that hey, this season I'm a bit stressed. I'm a bit um, on edge, easily triggered. So I think that was how I dealt with it in uni. And then over time, I actually thought that I was done. Mm. Yeah, so when it started coming back in 2019, right? I think for the first part of it, I was just so pissed off. Eh. I was like, what the heck? Like, I thought I was done with this. How come it came back? And it's like, it came back with a vengeance, you know? Like, last time I still can wake up, go school, smile, smile, laugh, laugh. Now I just wake up, look at the ceiling and like, don't want to do anything. Mm. So I, I think I was very upset la, that it came back because I thought that I was done with this struggle. Mm. But um, I think it took me a while to realize that I really needed to process all the things that happened to me that could cause me to fall back into it because I seemed to have a system that worked in uni, you know, to, to kind of deal with it. So as I spent some time like thinking about it, I realized that one big trigger for me in 2019 was the relational stress as well as my whole understanding of um, what pressing on and having hope in this whole thing meant. I think previously, um, because it just kind of magically went away on its own, I think when I had seasons where I felt a bit low, hope to me meant that these feelings would disappear. Mm. Like that was what I, I felt hopeful about, yep. right? So when in 2019, I was in that whole season and then day after day, I wake up and I still feel these feelings. I still look at the ceiling and like, it, it doesn't seem to have changed, right? I think then that hope started to diminish every single day. And mm. I realized that that kind of hope it's very baseless and it's very fleeting because it's it's not solid at all. Uh. There is no certainty at all in that kind of hope. And so I was forced to kind of maybe reconsider like what exactly do I find hope in? Hmm. You know, if it is in the light at the end of the tunnel, then that's a very hopeless endeavor because I don't really know where that light is. Um, it doesn't seem to be near at all. Hmm. But somewhere along the journey, I think I kind of had a bit of a paradigm shift that I don't think hope is really found in the light at the end of the tunnel, but in who is with me hmm. on this journey. I think that for me meant the people who loved me and journeyed with me, but more importantly, um, God who was with me. I think in that whole period of time when I felt like there were so many things that I was feeling that I couldn't even really understand myself. And if I couldn't understand it, I couldn't express it and verbalize it to the people around me such that they could understand, right? I think that was a period of time where I really felt like oh, really only God understands and even more than I can, you know? Mm. So things that I don't even need to verbalize, I think God knows and, and God knows what I'm going through. And that started to become my source of comfort and hope that mm. every day when I wake up, even if the feelings haven't really gone away, I find hope in the fact that, okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. God is with me and I, I want to trust la, that mm. I'm in good hands. And so as I had that paradigm shift, I think I, it also gave me the courage to unpack a little bit more of the things that happened to me realized that a large part of it was that relational stress. So I actually made the decision to put some distance between me, my, myself and um, some of these relationships la, that mm. were causing me a lot of stress. So surprisingly, right, when we went into COVID, I know COVID like 2020 was a very difficult year for a lot of people mm. mentally and all, but I felt like 2019 like was so bad that nothing else can be worse than that. So 2020 to me was fantastic. <laughs> I'm so sorry for people who like had a terrible 2020, right? But it was so healing for me. Eh? Like, I was so happy during Circuit Breaker. <laughs> so happy to Freedom. be stuck. Yeah, I really feel like just being in my in my room. Back then, I was married already. So it helped that my husband was there with me. So like, just being able to have some space from these triggers to, 
I guess focus a bit more on my own mental fitness and recovering and making sense of the things that happened to me actually was a very healing journey and Mm. I came out of circuit breaker and COVID I was like yes I can do life again you know so um, I think that whole period of time was actually quite helpful for my healing Mm. so I think the whole idea of like mental fitness to me at least what I have come to realize um, is taking stock Mm. of the things that happen to you I I live a life that I would think is quite fast paced and it's quite easy for me to move from project to project Mm. and agenda to agenda and just like kind of clear things meet people and then go to sleep right Um, but I have found that it's actually very very important for me to take stock of my life because I'm also somebody that thinks a lot like so I like my mind is rarely empty for better or for worse right so when my mind is filled with thoughts but I do not take time to consolidate and process it right I think sometimes um, those thoughts leave emotions in me that I'm not even very aware of until a while later when I realise that yeah, actually how come I start to feel quite heavy but I can't really trace it anymore because mm. it's been there for yes. a while so um, it helps me to actually regularly take stock and what I mean by regularly is actually daily mm. like every single day when I take the the MRT home, right? Actually, that to me is my cons- consolidation time. Like, mm. I will take time to think about what happened in my day. How did I feel about it? Do I have the space to process this emotion now? And if mm. not, then it's okay. Let me put it aside. Yeah. Um, over the weekend or on my day off, when I have some brain space to think about it, then I will pull it out to think about it, process it. Um, if I need to have a conversation with somebody about it, I will. Mm. Um, but that's how I kind of, in a sense, train myself to not have too much of an accumulation yeah. of emotions and thoughts that go unchecked. Mm. Yeah. You kind of like know. declutter your mind. And yeah, and, and I find that for me, I need to do it regularly because mm. the clutter builds up quite quickly. Yeah. 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 Is that the same for you, Ash? I mean, what, what, what was your journey? Is it also that same hope? Yeah. Um, so, I think if we, if we go back to 2021, if we go back to 2021, um, up to the point of 2023, um, I've been praying about this for a very, very long time, two years. Um, I, I remember every time these situations kind of happen, um, I, will, I will kind of turn to God, like most of us here, when we, when we just say like, oh, um, God, can you help us, help me through this? Um, can you help me to see the light at the end of the tunnel or release me from this? Maybe a breakthrough in anxiety means God completely takes away my anxiety. Maybe a freedom in, in, in all this means God just takes away the suffering. You know, but actually, you know, it's not like that. The, the, the truth is that it's not like that. Uh, I was at work and then there was a guy who came in to pitch uh, one of his projects to us. And what he said to me really caught me off guard. So when it came to my turn, he just said, um, as I was praying for you, the Lord gave me an impression that you are a thinker and you have a lot of thoughts in your head. And that you've allowed these thoughts to consume your peace. Um, and it has really just like crumbled you, you know. Um, but it says in his word in Isaiah 26 verse 3 that uh, he keeps in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord forever for he is an everlasting rock. Um, and so as you allow God to speak to you as you sleep, as you rest, as you continue to dream, um, he will give you the rest you need as long as you fix your mind on him. And then he ended that's when I, I was like froze I froze for a minute and he looked at me and was like uh, did I get it correct? <laughs> and I said yeah you did it, it felt as though like God suddenly held me in his hands and just told me like I've heard every prayer 
I've heard every cry you ever gave. I've heard every sigh. I've collected your tears in this, this bottle and I've seen all these things that happened. And I've heard you. It was just, it was just this like, wow, it's very... To know that these two years of prayers were answered through a guy that I didn't, like we all don't know, was a complete stranger, that was the last, like, you know, the, the final chop in that story. And so that gave me a lot of hope in that I know that in those situations where it feels like there's no hope, um, that when we pray and that God feels silent, that our prayers are not answered, um, I know that the silence has a reason, the silence has a purpose, that if God had answered those prayers immediately when I asked them, this whole thing would just seem like, oh, okay, it's just another answer prayer. That's it. But the fact that this was answered through a random stranger just solidified more that the Lord heard. Yeah, and, and this gives me a lot of hope today because I can, you know, just pray about anything. If I feel tired, if I feel like something's wrong in the family, I can just like give it to him. Mm. And say like, God, I feel, I, feel, I feel really tired about this. Even though it may not be answered at that moment, but I know he hears mm. and that he will answer at the right time. I think what these experiences helped me through my friends, my family, therapists, and this experience with God, right? Um, it really helped me to kind of create a new network, a new path in my brain in that originally it was like every time something bad happens, it just goes straight to cancer, this bad situation, you know? Um, but now because of all this, this kind of, it, it, it sort of form a new way in that, hey, actually things are better than it seems to be and that I shouldn't keep taking this like broken path. There's a new path that's laid out for me now and this is where my mind should go, you know, like the Lord hears, your friends and families are there for you um, and, and, and use these weapons that your therapist has given you to fight this. It really helped in a way whereby um, my thoughts start to become healthier. It's a little bit more positive um, although sometimes, yes, I know that after this, this whole experience, um, stress, anxiety and, and bad circumstances will happen again. It's no doubt that it will happen again. But at least now, um, I have all these reinforcements and kind of like armor to protect me and also weapons to, to, to fight it. Um, these are not promises that it will not happen again. But these are promises that it will get better. Wow. Yeah, yeah I... I personally learned quite a lot uh, from our session today. I mean, because we have never been to therapy, so you are our stand-in <laughs> therapist today. But I, I sincerely did learn a lot. I think even that whole reframing to mental fitness and seeing it as a journey that we all can kind of take the next step in and get stronger at, right? I think it was a very refreshing perspective for me. Mm. And just to shout out to our listeners, I think we are in no way licensed therapists, even though Ashley um, has a lot of handles, right? Like we are also still very much on this journey. And I think we acknowledge that everybody's journey with mental health, mental fitness, mental wellness um, can be quite different. But along the way, what we are doing here today is simply just having an open conversation and also sharing some things that we have come to realize helped us and has worked for us. Mm. So we also hope that you managed to take away something from today's episode. We hope that it helped you to at least take the next step or decide to take the next step in your journey and 
yeah, I think this really is what NGL is about. Offering a space for open conversations for your everyday person to just come and share what we're going through in life. So we hope you really, really enjoyed this episode and we hope that it offered you some form of companionship. If you know somebody who might identify with this episode and the things we talked about, please feel free to send this to them. Mm. You can find more of our episodes on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at ngl.people and you can join our Telegram channel where we have conversations Conversations in between episodes. So thank you so much, Jungkai and Ashley, for joining thank us. You. I really no learned a lot and I enjoyed our conversation so much. Yeah. And to everybody else, we will see you in our next episode. Bye!